Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2013 Annual Missions Conference. This is the evening service of Friday the 31st of May 2013. Here's Brother Jonathan McClure. It's really wonderful to be with you this evening, and I'm just very, very thankful for the opportunity to be here and the invitation, and, and I've uh, had the privilege to meet some of you before, but there's mostly new faces tonight, and so it's, like I said, it's wonderful to be here, and I, I'm going to thank these young people for coming out as well. Many of them have been outside shoveling and working hard today at the chapel and on some projects there, and then after that, they were still willing to come and to be a part of the service this evening. And I want to thank uh, John Hewitt as well. Uh, he and his wife, um, they, they work with the young people there at Beaches Road Baptist Chapel. I'm just going to have him come along, and uh, he, he's going to tell about the choir, the, the teen choir that we have this evening, and they're going to sing a couple songs, have a testimony in between, and then we'll hear from the Word of God. So I just want to thank you all for, uh, from Beaches Road uh, for allowing us to be here this evening. Well, good evening, folks. It's uh, it's good to be with you. Um, great privilege to be here. Um, my wife, Abby, and I we've we've been at Beaches Row now for um, about three years, and um, just over two years ago, uh, our pastor James Zenker asked us if we would consider starting a teenage Bible class. Uh, my wife said no straight away. <laughs> that was a wise thing, um, but the Lord led us to. So, January two thousand and. 11, we, we started the Lord and enabled us to start a teenage Bible class. And then um, about September time last year, James came to us again and said, uh, what are your thoughts on starting a teen choir? And my response was, I haven't got any thoughts on starting a teen choir. Um, I am not at all musical. Um, but we had a student from Crown College with us, um, a young lady by the name of Lydia, Lydia Billings, who was a, a, a wonderful young lady, real godly young lady, and God had given her a great gift and a great talent musically. Um, so together with Lydia, my wife and I, and this group of young people here, we uh, attempted to start a teen choir. Um, now, the remarkable thing is they'll stand before you tonight and they'll sing. When I say choir, please don't think of anything grand don't think of anything, as I've said before, that, that would be capable of singing in, in the Royal Albert Hall. But if you understand where these young people have come from, you'll understand that it's nothing short of a miracle that they stood here tonight singing about the grace of God. When we started our teenage Bible class, a number of them wouldn't even read a verse from the Scriptures in our class. And God has enabled them, uh, given them the confidence to grow and to be able to to do that, and none of them, not one of them had ever sung before in any shape, way or form. Not one of them is from a Christian home. Everyone that you see tonight um, has come to the church and come to know those that are saved, have come to know the Lord as their own personal saviour because somebody from Beaches Road knocked on their door or met them in the street and invited them to come to church. And I won't embarrass them tonight but if you were to learn what they've been through, all of them without exception, it would probably move some of you to tears. The things that they've been through in their young lives, many people should never have to go through in the whole of a lifetime on earth. And yet God has sent fishes of men out 
to fish and to catch these fish and to bring them into our church. And we've had the wonderful privilege of being able to work with them over the last two, nearly three years, and just see what God has done with, with these precious young souls. We love them. We love them very much. And as I say, they're going to stand and sing in a moment. You may hear a few duff notes. You may hear a few wrong keys. Just, just see through that and see what God has done with some young people that just a few years ago hadn't got a clue who Jesus Christ was, hadn't got a clue what the gospel was, hadn't got a clue about the love of God. And just praise God for what he's doing in their young lives. And pray with us. I hope they're an encouragement to you as they are to us. And pray that God will take them on, onwards and upwards for him, uh, as they would seek to live their lives uh, for him. I'm not going to say any more. I'm going to ask them to come up. They'll, they'll sing. We've got two guests with us tonight, which is a real, a real blessing. We've got Shajara, who you'll hear from in a moment. Shajara was... Uh, a student at Crown College that came over last term and the Lord has enabled us to stay with us throughout the summer, so we're happy about that. And then Christine, bless her, Christine only landed from the States on Tuesday, was it? Monday, she landed on Monday and she's here to spend the summer with us and to help with the, the teenagers and, and the camp. Um, so we're, we're a couple, couple short from our teen choir tonight, so I've roped these two young ladies in about 20 minutes ago uh, to sing with us. Um, so without any further ado, I'll ask them if they'll, if they'll come forward. And I also must mention uh, Lydia Billings, who I told you about. She went back to the States in December, and Lindsay McClure, bless her, very kindly agreed to, to step in, and, and um, she's the, uh, the musical brains behind our choir because, as I say, I have no musical ability at all. So Lindsay plays and helps with the, with the, um, the training and the singing. So they're going to sing, uh, the first thing they're going to sing is a song called Sinner Saved by Grace. And then Shajar, as I understand it, is going to give a word of testimony. And then they'll sing their second song, Jesus, How Could You Have Loved Me So? <clears throat>
afternoon. My name is Shajara Quigley, um, also Shay. So some of the people here, they know me by Shay. So Shay or Shajara, which everyone you want to call me is fine. Um, I'm from Texas, uh, born and raised there in the United States. I loved it there. It's great. There. Right now, it's super hot right now. Unlike, unlike here, it's not very hot here. So, But <laughs> I was born and raised there. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, my parents, they're actually, they're not even together. Um, my, I just live with, it's me and my mom, but the Lord was so good during all of that. Um, I had a neighbor who invited me to a Sunday school, and uh, my main reason for going was like the, the sweeties and the coloring pages and all of that. I just, I loved it so much, but I'm so glad that the Lord had so much more in store for me for that, well, from that. <clears throat> it was there at Sunday school that I found out that I was a sinner, and that because of my because of my sin, I needed to go to hell. That was that was my payment for my sin. But I also found out at Sunday school that there is a great Savior, that God loved me so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die, to die on the cross for my sin, and that he was buried in a grave, and that he rose three days later. And like he did the same for me, he did the same for you, if you'll just repent of your sins and trust him by faith. But as a young child, I did that, and from then on, my life has has never been the same. He's brought me to a wonderful college in, in Tennessee, uh, Crown, Crown College uh, University, and there he's taught me so many things. And you may think, well, you're from the America, from the United States, from Texas, what are you doing in England? <laughs> um, <clears throat> if you would have asked me maybe several years ago, maybe two or three years ago, even one year ago, what I'd be doing right now in my time with this summer, I, I guarantee you I wouldn't say that I'd, I'd be in, in the UK and England with you tonight. But the Lord has been so good. He's brought me here. He's brought me here um, earlier in January. Uh, me and 11 other students, we've came here and we've studied for about four months. And the Lord has taught me so much. I, I, if I were to tell you, you'd probably be here all night. <laughs> but he's taught me so much. And one would be to have compassion. Um, I can go out and knock on doors and I can try to be as charming as possible. I can just smile as big as I want. But without the compassion of Christ, without the love of Christ, I can't reach these people. And the Lord has taught me that. He's taught me so many things while being here. I'll, I love it here. And you, you may wonder, like, why, why? I don't understand why she's here. It's Christ who's brought me here. And I didn't come all the way from America just for, um, for, for the candy or for the people with their accents and for any of those things. But it's Christ who brought me here. There may be some of you tonight um, who are under great conviction. The Lord is asking you to do something. Maybe he's asking you to go somewhere. And you may be frightened out of your mind. You may not know. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't, Lord, do you understand the cost? But I guarantee you, I guarantee you it's worth it all. You, you won't regret it. And the Lord has so much more in store for you than, than what you can ever imagine. Um, one verse he has given to me. <clears throat> it's in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. It's my life verse. And I have to turn to this so many times. Because it's, um, it's not by my strength, but if it's, it's through his. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. It says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then, I'm, then am I strong. And I just want you to know tonight that you, you may be weak tonight. You may, you may be at a withdrawal right now under understanding where, where the Lord has you to go next or what he has you to do. And you may think that, that you may be weak enough, which is true. We are weak. I mean, you're not strong enough. You are weak. But I want you to know that you don't have to do it on your own, that you can turn to Christ and that he can help you through anything that you're trying to overcome. 
And if you're wrestling with something tonight, I would, I would encourage you to get that settled. If the Lord is asking you to do something tonight, if he's asking you to follow him, whatever it may be, it may be for salvation or he may be leading you to go to another area, I would ask you to do that tonight. It's not for me that you're doing it for, but it's for him. And I guarantee you, you won't regret it. Following, the, following Christ here all the way to the UK has, has been the best thing that I've ever done. I would have not imagined the things that he have taught me here. I had to, you would think, like, maybe I could have stayed back home for him to teach me certain things, but I had to come all the way here because it was here that um, that he brought me closer to himself. In your life, you may be going through a certain situation. He may be drawing you to a certain place or something, and you may think, I I can't do that. I can't. I, I just can't do that. But it may be at that place that Christ may be drawing you, drawing you to himself. So I encourage you to follow him tonight. Thank you.
Well, if you would go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We'll be looking in Ephesians chapter number 6. But while you're turning there, I'll just... Uh, the pastors asked me to say a little bit about um, Lindsay and myself and, and why we're here, what we're doing here, and things like that. And um, I was much like... Well, I was in the same case as Shajara, and I'd come here in 2007 for a term, and uh, even before that, God had been working on my heart and putting England before me as a place to minister. Before I ever went to university, I never would have thought twice about England. I never would have thought twice about um, England being somewhere that would need anybody from America to come or or would want anybody from America to come, or as far as I knew, England would probably be sending missionaries to America. And I was was completely ignorant and of spiritual condition at all. and uh, But I went to college, and an Englishman came from came and he spoke at a mission conference, and he began to tell us about England and some of the chapels that are empty and, and the need for preachers. And, and uh, the Lord began to work in my heart. And, and uh, to make a long story short, I was able to come for a short trip before I was a student, and then, and then came as a student for four months uh, with Crown College and Crown College UK, and got to be here and work, and, and just the Lord confirmed it even more in my life that this is where He wanted me to be. Um, I had somebody asked me the other day, actually just yesterday, they said, well, you have any plans to, to go back to the States anytime soon? I said, no, I don't have any plans to go back to the States. I, I had to. I didn't, I, don't, I didn't look at it as get, get to. I had to go back to the States back over Christmas and uh, January and uh, really struggled with being okay with being there because I know this is where God's called me. I know God has placed me here in England just as, just as you've grown up here, you're living here, you know this is where God wants you, and I know this is where God wants me, and I have no desire to leave. And it's, I, my, my life is completely for, open to whatever God's will may be for me here in this country. And as far as I can see, it's indefinite uh, time here. And as to, to put it... Um, to put it technically, as England would call it, I'm looking forward to having indefinite leave to remain, and uh, to to put it in technical terms. But right now, we're Lindsay and myself uh, we're working at Beaches Road Baptist Chapel under James Zinker, and uh, learning and and growing and and getting involved in things there. But Lord willing, one day we'll be out and pastoring a, a church somewhere else in England. And uh, we don't necessarily have a, a place in mind just yet. We're just open for God's will and waiting for him to open a door. And uh, just, but serving wholeheartedly there as much as we can at Beaches Road. And so we, I ask that you please pray for Lindsay and I, that God would guide us and direct us, that we wouldn't go a moment too soon, that we wouldn't stay a moment too long and, and where we're at right now, but that we would completely be yielded to his will. And, and so... It's been an exciting, a very exciting year and a half, and gotten to know the Hewitts, and they've been, a, they've been an absolute wonderful help. I think of them as uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and how they taught Apollos how to more accurately divide the Word of God, and, and so they're very helpful in teaching us how to more accurately be English, and, and, and speak English, and divide the Word of God, and all those things, and so... They've been, they've been a huge help and encouragement to my wife and I. So 
But uh, I don't want to speak much about myself tonight. I really want to get into the Word of God. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll just read a few verses there. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in power and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the evil in, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the word or and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let us pray. Lord, we, we ask that Thou wouldst please bless the reading of Thy Word, and that it would be sown in our hearts this evening, that it would go forth with power, not because some man is speaking up, but because Thy Holy Spirit is accompanying Thy Holy Word. And we ask that it would be Thy Word that convicts hearts and changes lives, and that it would be Thy Word that's heard tonight, and Thy message that's getting across to, to our minds and to our hearts and our spirits, Lord, we pray that we would be obedient this evening. Lord, we praise and thank you for thy word and how thou hast provided it for us so that we can know what thy mission is for our lives on this earth. We thank thee, Lord, for thy Holy Spirit that has come to live within us, for those who have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and to guide us and to teach us the word and to comfort us. Lord, we thank thee so much for Jesus Christ and the death the sacrifice that he made on the cross for our sins, and how he was no defeat, not defeated. He was, he was not the, the loser in, in the conflict, but he was the victor, and he conquered death and hell. And he's sitting victoriously, sitting on the right hand of God our Father. We praise thee and thank thee for the wonderful work that thou hast wrought in us, and that thou hast wrought through Jesus Christ, who is mighty to save. We pray, Lord, for those who do not know Jesus Christ that are in this place this evening, that they would realize that without Christ, there's no hope of eternity. Without Christ, there's no hope of tomorrow. There's no hope of the next moment. For those who are in Christ can have hope that whether they're here, it's for Christ, but to die is gain. And Lord, we pray that those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior would come to him this evening. We pray, Lord, once again, that thou please bless thy word, and that it would, it would be what speaks to our hearts, and thy Holy Spirit would speak loudly in our ears, and that we would be yielded, spirit-filled listeners. We pray these things in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior's name. Amen. Well, I would like you to imagine with me, just for a moment, Really turn your imaginations on and, and go back in time with me over 600 years ago, maybe, maybe more like seven or 800 years ago. 
and go back in time with me to the time of King Edward III. King Edward, of course, King Edward of England, the third, his son, the Black Prince. And let's imagine that you're in his army. Now, if you're going to be in an army of England, which has had many great armies, that would be one of them that you would want to be in. At that time in English history, the, the English army seemed to really be invincible. They won every battle that they fought. And it just it seemed like they could not lose, no matter what the odds were, whether it was three to ten, not in their favor, they still won. And it seemed like every time they faced a foe, they went forward and they won. Let's imagine that you're in that army. Now let's imagine you're putting on your armor. And of course, you have your helmet, you have your breastplate, you have your, your loins girt about, you have your, your belt, so to say, you have your armor on your feet, you have a shield, you have a sword, and you are fully armed. You are as, as impenetrable to the enemy's assault as you can possibly humanly be with the armor that you are wearing. And just imagine with me that you're in that army, and that army is, is on a foreign field getting ready to fight a battle against numbers that don't seem possible to be to come out good for England. That's, that just, just put yourself in that place and you have that armor on. Just keep that in mind. And we'll look at these things that we find here, the armor of God. The first thing that we see here in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. First of all, we have to realize that all of these things that Shajar said, we're not doing these things in our strength and our abilities, and our power, they're in God's power. They're in, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The Lord's power is not some small, feeble power, but the Bible says power of his might. It's a mighty power. And that's what we're to be strong in as we put these things on, as we put the armor of God on. And let's look at the first piece here that we see. And verse number 14, the Bible says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Having your loins girt about with truth. And what that's speaking of is really, in those days, there would have been a belt that they would have worn that would have held really all the armor in place. And of course, you're, we know belts are very important still today, so that's not hard for us to understand. A belt is holding everything in place. And if we look at this, the Bible says that your loins are girt about with truth. We have this truth here, and this is absolutely the only thing that we have to stand on. This is the only thing that we have to take our faith and practice from, that we, that we have that we can live our lives on and know that it will not guide us in the wrong direction. We can have faith in God's Word that it is pure and that it's been preserved and that it's true. I was speaking with someone the other day, and they asked me a question, a, a really a, a doctrinal question. I won't tell you what the question is, but they asked me what I thought about a certain issue. And I told them, I said, well, the Bible says, or the Bible was written like this to this person, and I referred to what the Bible said on the question that they asked. And they threw down their books, and they looked, and they said, but don't you know demographics today? 
they say and began to quote and tell me all the things that are different about today than they were when this book was written. But demographics change. God's word never will change. People might think, well, this book isn't relevant. It is relevant today for you and for me. And this book can speak to every issue, to every trial that you may be going through in your life. This is the truth. If we begin to water this down, our armor will never stay on. If we begin to set the God's word aside and do things our own way, our, our breastplate won't stay in its position. Things, things will begin to fall apart. We'll have no protection. Our, our leg armor will, won't be in place anymore. And we'll be vulnerable to any attack that Satan may throw against us. If we do not have God's word as our girdle of truth, our belt, holding everything together, what we stand on, People, people sometimes say, well, doctrine, I don't like doctrine because doctrine divides. Doctrine doesn't divide. It just makes clear what division is already there. Doctrine and God's word, what we find here in this Bible, is all that we have to stand on. And if you set it aside, there's no point in putting anything on, any armor on, because it won't stay around you very long. It'll simply fall to the side. So the first thing that we see here in this armor, and I'm going to go through these quickly, the first thing that we see here is his loins girt about with truth. The next thing is in verse 14 again. The Bible says, And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteous living is blameless living. So we have this breastplate that's going to protect, it's going to protect your heart. It's going to protect your lungs. And those are all the vital organs that you have to keep in running order to keep yourself running in running order. If any of those are damaged, if your heart is shot through, if your lungs are pierced, if your stomach is shot through, you're not going to live very long. And so it's extremely important to have a breastplate on. And the Bible says the breastplate of righteousness. Righteous living will lead you to live a blameless life will keep you and protect you from attacks without. Those who live right, who obey God's word, who hold that as their only standard of faith and practice, those who obey God's word and live righteously, those people are much less likely to face the attacks that the world may put on them. Have you ever noticed that the world knows how, to, how Christians ought to live better than Christians do sometimes. Because they're the first people to tell you that you're not living like a Christian. They may not be living like one, but they expect you to, and they'll tell you when you're not. Righteous living keeps those attacks from penetrating into your hearts. They keep your testimony pure. Righteous, a righteous life, obeying the Lord, obeying His Word, keeps you from falling into temptation, keeps you from falling into things that will cause people to point accusations at you and at your church. Righteous living protects you from things that are without. It keeps you, gives you a pure testimony. In, in the days of King Edward III, he was a very chivalrous king. And all of the rules and laws of knights were in place in that time. And, and he, was, he obeyed them to a T. If someone had been slaughtering his people, 
and, and been gaining most of the victory, but suddenly the tables turned and now King Edward was coming down on them and King Edward was winning the victory, but they raised the white flag or they fell to their knees and asked for quarter. He would give it to them. Even though he may have not given quarter or, or given surrender to, to his men when they asked for it, if his enemy asked for it, he would, he would give them surrender. And he, King Edward realized something when he would go and conquer a city, that if he treated the people in a righteous way, in a respectful way, in an honorable way, those people would be much less likely to turn on him when it was easy to do so. And those people would not have anything to say, well, well, he deserves us to rebel. He deserves us to retaliate. He, he, was, he was in many ways a righteous king. And he lived in such a way where nobody could point any accusations at him. He definitely wasn't perfect, but, but the Bible teaches us to live righteously, to protect yourself from those attacks without. What's the next thing we have here? Verse 15. The Bible says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. We're, we're to be prepared to take the gospel. Our message needs to be mobile. We have a message, and we don't have a message just to know the message. We have a message to take the message out. Our message is to be mobile. When, it, when we're taking, if we, if we don't have this gospel, our feet prepared with the gospel, ready to go, ready to take it wherever we need to go, we're not going to be very mobile very long. You need to keep your, keep your feet, keep your feet, the things that are going to keep you moving, those things need to be protected. You need to keep the gospel before you all the time. The Great Commission in your mind, realizing that though you may be at work and not on some foreign mission field, you are a missionary, and you're prepared at that moment, at that time, to give the gospel, and your armor is on. You know, if, if a soldier gets shot in the foot, he's not going to be very helpful in the battle. He's not going to be helpful to attack and go forward. He's not going to be helpful to hold his stance when the ar army, the enemy is pressing down on them. He's not going to be very helpful at all in the battle. He's going to be very vulnerable and become quite useless very quickly. And if we oftentimes set aside our, our armor that would protect our feet, those things that would protect us, our usefulness as Christians will soon become less and less and less. The Bible teaches us to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. As I said earlier, that King Edward would go and he would, and he would oftentimes try to win a battle as peacefully as he possibly could. And he would treat the enemy as peaceably as he possibly could. King Edward actually captured the king of France. But the king of France was a prison in England, and when he captured him, the king of France lived in England almost as if he was the king's prince. That's how well he was treated. And the gospel is a peaceful gospel. The gospel is not something that we, we take to people and we try to twist their arm backwards and, and really make them and tell them and say, look, you must do this right now. It is that urgent. 
It is that important. But we know that we can't do that. We can't convict people. We can't make people become Christians. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to go and to peaceably and tell them that their sins are condemning them to a sinner's hell. If they don't trust Christ, they will spend eternity in a lost sinner's hell. But we're to live a peaceable life. The Bible teaches us about living peaceably with all men. Pray for all men. that You may live peaceable lives. Let's look at the next piece of armor. Verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Our shield of faith is one of our greatest weapons. The Bible talks about quenching the fiery darts of the wicked. And when you say, when you, you have that word quenched there, it gives you the idea of, of water being involved, something quenching your thirst. And so you do that with, with a drink of water or some sort of liquid. Well, in the days of Romans, whenever they knew they would face an enemy that was going to be armed with fiery darts, their arrows were going to be dipped and lighted on fire before they shot them, they would have a piece of leather over their shield that would be soaked in water. And so when that enemy would strike his arrow into their shield, lit on fire, that arrow would be quenched as soon as it hit the shield and do absolutely no damage. Whereas if it was just a, a wooden shield, it would be on fire in a short amount of time. If it was a metal shield, it would bounce off and catch something else on fire. But a leather shield soaked in water would quench the fiery darts of the enemy. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ is telling us. This, this shield of faith is what's going to protect us. It's what's going to keep us from the fiery darts of the devil. Why do I say that it's one, it, our shield of faith is our greatest weapon? You say, that's a defensive object. It's not something you attack with. In sports, I've heard it say, I've had coaches tell me, a good defense is a good offense. What's the most discouraging thing when an army is coming together and their first assault has absolutely no effect? Because oftentimes the archers will be the first ones to attack with their fiery darts. That's going to be the first thing that's going to strike at. It's going to strike, the enemy's going to strike at your faith before anything else. And when the, when the enemy strikes at your faith, if you don't have your shield of faith, then you, you have no hope of quenching the darts. You're, you have no hope of dodging them. The enemy, the Bible tells us to take the shield of faith. And when the enemy strikes that shield of faith, he can do nothing against it. I can imagine if you don't have, if, if you don't have the shield of faith, there, there will be no going forward. There will only be going backwards. There, there's no defense at all. That is the really the only defensive thing in your hand. Yes, you have other shields, other armor, but it goes with you. But this shield of faith, the Bible tells us that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Above all, take the shield of faith. If you're going to do something for Jesus Christ, if you're going to do something for the Lord, it's going to require faith. Why would he ask us to accomplish a task that we can do in our own strength? 
Why would he ask us to reach the world with the gospel when we know we can't do it? Because it takes faith in God. If it was something we could do on our own, we would have no reason to look to God. We'd have no reason to pick up our faith and trust him for the victory. But the Bible tells us faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Let's look at the next pieces. Verse 17, the Bible says, And take the helmet of salvation. Without salvation, your service is useless. I know from, from experience that without salvation, your service is useless. When I was a teenager, I did my best to live the Christian life, although I was unsaved. And I did my best to do what's right and follow the Lord, even though I had yet to trust Christ as my Lord and Savior. I even went as far as to fool other people, and they thought I was a Christian. And it got so dangerous that I began to try to fool myself. But when I would sit under preaching and I would hear the word of God, and I'd hear a man speak about hell as the final resting place for those who reject Christ as their Lord and Savior, the doubts would come into my mind, and the peace that saved people have, I, I did not enjoy. It was constant doubt, constant fear. And a peace I, I did not get to experience ever. And I tried to live the Christian life. And had I been attacked by the devil and his demons in the world, and had I experienced death, my service would have been absolutely of no good, and I would have spent eternity in the lake of fire. All of the service that I did for the Lord was of no use. It was vain. There was no glory going to God. Because I was a lost sinner, incapable of sending praise to God. With, without your helmet, you're absolutely useless. The first thing that somebody's going to shoot at if you're not wearing a helmet is your head. That's the first thing the enemy would aim at. The enemy is already aiming for the slots right there where your eyes are able to see. That's what they're, that's what they're hoping to be able to hit. But without the helmet, there's no hope of dodging those, those blows, the swings of the sword, the fiery darts. You must have salvation if you want to be any use of the Lord. Verse 17 again, the last piece of armor here. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have, we have the, the sword of the Spirit here, and... Two of the weapons make reference to the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit is something that you receive as soon as you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. And once you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior from that day, it becomes a matter of whether or not you're going to submit to the Holy Spirit or not. And for those who have submitted to the Holy Spirit, their weapon, their own, our only weapon, is this Word. The only weapon that we have, the Bible doesn't teach us. Now, you need to study creation science, which I think is wonderful. I enjoy it. I, lo I, I love all those things. But the Bible doesn't say you have to have a Ph.D. in creation science to be able to attack all of the views of the atheists and evolutionists. The Bible doesn't say you have to have a history degree to dispute all those people that say that all the things of the Old Testament and the Bible aren't true. You don't have to be an archaeologist. The Bible doesn't teach us all those things. The Bible says this is your weapon. And when you speak to people, tell them what God's Word says. 
The Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible is our weapon. The Bible says that God's word will not return void. Our words may fall on idle ears and may return void and may have no fruit, but God's word will always yield fruit. God's word will not return void. God's word is our only weapon that we have to attack the enemy with. So when we're on the attack, when we're going forward in battle, use this to fight with, nothing else. And you don't, you don't have to have it memorized from cover to cover. You know enough of God's word if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior to be a dangerous enemy against the devil. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior and share with the world, take your weapon and tell people about Jesus Christ. There was a, there's an old preacher that, that I knew back in the States, and uh, he wasn't exactly the, uh, didn't, didn't exactly have the most common sense in the world. And uh, he got on a plane, and he was getting ready to get on. And the court, they asked him, this was before security was extremely intense like it is now. And they asked him, do you have any weapons? And he said, yes, I have a sword. And they said, you have a what? I have a sword. He said, sir, we're going to have to check your bag. And he, I, I think he barely, barely made his flight by the time they realized he was just half crazy and he was talking about, but what he was talking about, he was talking about his Bible. And he really believed that this was his weapon. And he really believed that if we're going to attack, if we're going to assault the enemy, if we're going to send a blow their way, this is all that we have to use. None of our words, none of our skill or talents or ability, this is all we have to use is God's word. There's no more pieces of armor, but I think there's a verse that oftentimes is, is neglected. Verse 18 tells us how I believe this is, I believe this tells us how we're to put the armor of God on. Verse 18, the Bible says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. All of this armor of God is to be put on with prayer. We, we, we pick up and we read God's word and we pray and we ask him to give us wisdom to understand it, to understand the truth. We, we pray and we ask God to help us to live a Christian life, help us to go forward with boldness with the gospel of peace, to help us hold our shield of faith. In verse 10, it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in prayer through God to God is the only way we can hope to hold our armor in place. Now, back to, back to the King Edward III's army. You're in the army. But I haven't told you something about this army. I haven't told you your part in the army. You're fully armed. Helmet, shield, sword, breastplate, sheet fought, shod with the gospel of peace. You have your, you have your belt holding it all together. And... Your position in the army, in the ranks of King Edward III's army, is a camp attendant. That's your, that is your job, to watch the camp. Whenever these armies would go forth, they would obviously have to take with them stores of food and, and armor and, and things to build tents with. And, and oftentimes what they would do is they would get to the battlefield, 
perhaps in the evening. They would survey the land, survey the enemy's position, and they would settle down for the night, set up their tents, and put all of their, all of their riches together because oftentimes they would, what they were going to pay the army with, they would bring with them. And they would put that all in a tent in a, in a campsite and they would set up camp for the night. And the next morning, they would go to battle. Well, all of the army would leave the, the campsite there and they would go forward to the front lines and begin the battle. And they would normally leave behind just perhaps a handful of camp attendants, perhaps servants or, or maybe young boys that weren't old enough to fight yet. And they would leave them behind just to basically care for the animals and, and keep things, watch the fires that maybe have been burning and just watch over things and really take no part in the battle at all. And that's your position. But it doesn't make much sense, does it, to have all the armor on and just be a camp attendant. Why would it not make much sense to have all that armor on and just stay back in the camp? You have the armor on. You're wearing the armor of God to go to battle. You're not wearing the armor of God to have a seat in a comfortable church, to have a seat in a comfortable chair at home. I think some people, they they look at their lives and they read this passage and they say, wonderful, I have all the armor of God on. And they've never swung their sword. They've never had a fiery dart shot at their shield. They've, they've, their, their armor is very shiny and clean, no dents in it. Because they're not battling. Why would, why would the Bible use this illustration so many other times? And the Bible refers to war and battles. And we have here armor. If Christians are to be armed with breastplate and helmet and sword and shield and armor for our feet and a belt to hold it all together, then Christians are to be in a battle that's going forth and attacking this world and attacking the forces of evil. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our enemy is attacking. Our enemy is going forward. And the Bible says to stand, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Having done all, verse 13, to stand. We're to be standing in God's army and the ranks of his army, fully armed, fully capable to be useful in God's army, holding up our shield of face, Faith, having our armor, having our breastplate on so that we can continue to be useful to God. But so many of us, we, we look at all the wonderful things in God's word and we, and we say we want to know more about God, but why? Why? Why do we have the armor of God on? Why do we even put it on? Why do we waste time with it? To go into battle. You notice there's nothing in the armor of God that's for your back. Because we're not to retreat. In battles... Oftentimes, the, the most casualties, the most deaths of the, of the losing party would not occur when, when the army breaks through the ranks of the enemy. The most deaths would occur when the losing side runs from the battlefield and the opposing army would chase them down and cut them to the ground. 
That's, that's when they die, when they would retreat. We're not to retreat. We're not to just sit and be comfortable with our armor on. We're to be in a battle. We're to be going forward, swinging our sword. I can guarantee you that the Hewitts, they have had, if, if they had not taken on the Bible class, they probably would have had a whole lot less fiery darts hit their shield. Their, their shield, their armor might be, have a, a few less dinks in it and may, might be a bit more shiny if they had not taken on a teen Bible class. And, you know, their, their shield might even have less dinks in it if they didn't take on a choir with the Bible class. They're going. Are, are you going? Are you going into battle? What, what ground are you taking? What, what are you fighting for? What is your mission? God has given us a mission, and that's to take the bread of heaven to the starving souls of this world. God has given us a mission to, to attack and to take God's word with us, swing it as violently as we can, but at the same time going forward with that gospel of peace. What, why, why do we have all these things? Why does the Bible tell us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The Bible says stand fast. And in verse number 11, and back in Ephesians in chapter 5, 6, it says to stand. And in verse number 13, it says to stand. And having done all, to stand. We're to be standing. The, the armies of England learned that if they're not in order, if they're not in, uh, in, in, in rank and disciplined, whenever the army would attack, oftentimes England would win their battles because they would let the enemy come to them and they would stand and they would let them die on their shields and die on their spears. But as soon as the army's lines were broken, they would charge. The first thing that we have to do may not always be easy when we have to stand and it seems as though we're doing nothing and it seems as though we're getting nowhere. It seems as though the, the victor is really having, having a day of it. But there'll come a day when the victor realizes he cannot fight against the shield of faith and against the power and the might of our Lord. And there'll come a day when, the, when the, the Satan and his demons and all those on his side will turn and run. They'll flee. And then, well, that'll be the day that we charge. But if we're just sitting around with all these things on, we're not involved in any battles at the moment. What do we have it on for? Many people, you might wonder, why, how in the world do you, do you preach about message, about missions from the armor of God? Well, it's simply this. Why are you wearing the armor? Why, why are you a Christian? The Bible tells us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I don't believe it's teaching us to figure out whether or not you're saved. The Bible uses the four-letter word in today's society, work. Do something with it. You're saved. You, your soul has been redeemed for you to do something with it. So why, why is your armor on? Why are you, why are you saved? What, is, what ground are you taking? What battles are you fighting? Is, is your, you may have beautiful, shiny armor, but have you swung your sword lately? Have you had to do something that caused you to have faith? 
and to hold up your shield of faith against some fiery dart? So my challenge is to you, find out what it is that God has you wearing your armor for. We all have the same task, that's to take the gospel into this world and to preach it. But who is that in your life? You know people I'll never meet. You'll take the gospel to people I'll never meet. They're your battlefield. My battlefield is over in the black country. Your battlefield is, is here in Ward End. Where, where's your battlefield? Have you taken any ground lately? Why are you wearing any armor for God? Why not put on just a fancy suit? He didn't, he didn't give us an illustration with ties and white shirts and, and suit coats. The Bible tells us about armor and helmets and swords because we're to be doing something with what God has given us. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that thou wouldst please help us to understand thy will for our lives. Lord, we thank thee so much for the armor that we do have, that we can put on, and that when we go forth against the enemy, that we don't have to fear his attacks if we're going forth in the strength and the power, the mighty power of God. If we've placed these things on in prayer, if we're going forth in his spirit, with his breastplate of righteousness, with the shield of faith, if we're going forward with thy armor on us, we don't have to fear. And so we thank thee, Lord, that thou hast not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, of a, of a sound mind. Lord, we're so thankful for that. But Lord, help us not to just be thankful for what thou hast given us, but help us to do something with the wonderful gifts that thou hast given us. Please, Lord, we ask that for those who have yet to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior, that, that they may desire to have all these pieces of armor on, but they're, they're walking around with absolutely no armor, completely vulnerable to the attacks of the devil and this world and their flesh and a slave to it. Lord, help them realize that the peace of God only comes when the helmet of salvation is placed upon their head. Lord, help us to not be Christians that are just wearing the armor just to watch the camp. But help us to be Christians that are on the front lines, going forward, taking risks, taking ground, attempting great things for God and expecting great things from God, advancing with God, for we know that He is always advancing. We pray these things in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.